Good morning, everyone. I know that there's some guys that are passing out some envelopes. Those envelopes are going to be used later on in the sermon. So I'm asking you that you put them in a very secure place. They're very near and dear to my heart, especially the contents that is within them. But just kind of hold them maybe in your lap. Do not put them in the chair rack. I just kind of would be mindful of that. And of course, these leaves... Man, it's going to be awesome to watch that tree come to life at both campuses. And uh, first service, I had talked about my family and uh, put my kids and my wife down on this blessing leaf. And today, I just want to be, you know, just kind of get a shout out to our tech teams across both campuses. That's who I, I, I feel like is a blessing to my life. They do such a good job. The only time they get noticed is when there's a mistake. So why don't you notice, why don't you turn around, just give them a round of applause at both campuses. They do such an awesome job. These are men and women whose acts of service have nothing to do with being on this stage. They love being off of this stage. So what you did right there absolutely embarrassed them to death. And I love that. Hey, today we're talking about something new, something different. Uh, We talk about it every time this year. uh, But something that could be awfully, awfully meaningful to your life. Today could be really the very first step for you to find some financial freedom in your life. If you decide to do it God's way rather than the typical way that maybe some of the, you in this room have been always doing. Today could be the very first step for you to actually know where your money's going than wondering where it went. When you put some of the financial principles that God has in plan for your life. You know, I, I wonder sometimes why we do the things that we do, especially financially, why we live the way we live sometimes extravagantly. And I think sometimes it just comes down to wanting to fit in. Like nothing more but just trying to keep up with others and try to live the lifestyle of the group that we're in. We do a lot of funny things to fit in, but this idea is called social conformity. We have two sides of us, one that wants to fit in, another one wants to stand out, but the side that wants to fit in gravitates greater to the group than the one that wants to stand out, so we just socially conform. And so you get part of groups that you start talking the same, looking the same, dressing the same, buying the same stuff, vacationing in the same spot, spending your money the same way. Your, your lives are nearly identical. Because you've kind of gravitated to that group that's called social conformity. But we all have this desire still to fit in but to stand out. When I was a kid, I was a child of the 80s, okay? So when I was a part of some groups, I wanted to dress like that. That was social conformity. My mom was like smart enough to go, you're not going to dress like that. You know, 2020 is going to happen one day and you don't want pictures of yourself in that. But I'll be honest, there was a store called Miller's Outpost and they had an awesome Jordache ad and I wanted to look like that. (laughs) One problem, I didn't have enough jewelry. That was the only only problem with it. But we do a lot of stupid stuff to kind of just fit in. I mean, just think about the things that we do to socially conform, to live up to what's called typical, to just to be normal. But have you ever just thought about it? Typical is baseline. Typical is like just marginal. It's just middle of the ground stuff. Like, do you really want to have the typical American health? Think about that for a minute. You want to be the typical American when it comes to health. Some of you are like, well, I, th- I don't know. I, what does that look like? Well, it's not good. I know that. It, it means that you're, you're probably more than likely overweight. It means that you, 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 you don't exercise nearly enough. You get half the exercise that is needed. Uh, it means that you don't eat a good diet. About 60% of us don't have a good balanced diet. Half of us, half of us rely on daily meds. Do you, do you want that as typical for your life? Do you want to have the typical American education for your children and for yourself? Do you want that? Because that's a 3.0. Now, I just wish, my parents wish I got the typical education, I'll tell you that. I didn't even come close to that one. But I don't want that for my children, and you probably don't want that for your kids, didn't want that for your kids, right? So we say 4.0 is what we're looking after, not the typical 3.0. That's typical. That's, that's baseline. So how about when it comes to your finances? Do you want to be the typical American household when it comes to your finances? You know what that looks like? That's a, an average of $16,000 in credit card debt. That's 
tens of thousands of dollars in student loans that are being paid off in the course of decades. That's 400 plus dollars minimum in one car payment, and most of us have two car payments. That's not being able to come up with $1,000 in a month's time if there is an emergency in the household. The typical American household has about $10,000 stored away for retirement. Do you you want typical when it comes to your finances? Or do you want something more? And I think the answer is easy. You want something more. You want something better. And God knew that for your life. God laid out some amazing principles. But the problem is we have settled for typical. And God says, I want you to be a typical. My real line of thinking is this. If if you want what typical people have financially, then just do what typical people do. But if you want what few people have financially, then do what few people do. What if you just stopped living typically and you started to live as God calls us to, atypically, because typical living is keeping you from tremendous living. The good is keeping you from the great, and the great is actually keeping you away from the godly. Jesus taught about this, and Jesus taught an awful lot about money because he knew that money would shackle us and try to be a master over us. He knew that we'd be possessed by our possessions. He understood that it would start to dominate our life, that we'd think about it, that we would lose sleep over it, that it would fracture families, that financial things would just ruin us and level us, and so Jesus taught a lot about it. As a matter of fact, he talked more about money than he talked about heaven and hell. In the books of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, he talked about money one out of every six verses of those scriptures. He knew that we would have a problem when it came to mastering our money. He knew that money would slowly or start to master us. And I think there's a lot of us, if we just kind of got into our heart of hearts, we'd say, that's true. That's true. Now, if we don't learn to manage our money, our money's going to manage us. And Jesus knew that. And I'm sharing you this series of sermons this month, not because it's just something we always do every single time this season, because I want to be a good pastor to you. Guys, this is not about what I want from you. This is about what I want for you. This is about what God wants for you. And when you start thinking through some mature eyes where there's some immaturity that exists probably within these rooms here, you start to realize that that God wants something for you. He wants to bless your life. He wants to set you apart and have you live differently. But you've got to have a desire to do that, to say, I'm not going to live typical. I'm going to start to live an atypical life that God has called me to. I, I, I don't want something from you. I want something for you. And the typical attitude about money is this. Uh, more money will make me happy. I don't know what we say in this room because I have the same feeling like that's not truly, I mean, I don't think that. I know in my heart, I, I know that's not true. And you go, yeah, I know it's not true either, but, but my spending habits don't say that. Uh, my, my impulse buys don't say that. Because, like, you know, like, I, I, if you look back over my bank account, it's going gonna, it's gonna to show you that Matt and Kelly are spending money on things that are trying to provide for them some, some happiness. I heard this quote the other day. It said, whoever said money doesn't buy happiness obviously doesn't know where to shop. <laughs> like, okay, that's clever, right? That's cute. But guess what? It's wrong. It's wrong. Like there's a guy named Solomon. He amassed a fortune. He's the second king of Israel in the scriptures. You can read about his story. He had prayed and asked God for an incredible wisdom. God gave him incredible wisdom. Because of that, he amassed a fortune. Uh, economists today say that Solomon was more than likely one of the top five richest people who had ever lived on the face of the earth. And he knows what there is to have money and not have it. He knows what it's like to spend it. He knows what it's like to do this, done that, been there kind of a thing, right? You've taken a good vacation. Solomon's taken a better vacation. You made some good investments. Guess what? Solomon made better investments. He's also made some stupider investments too. And here's what he says. I mean, like God just strikes him to the heart. And here's what this guy has to give us some advice about how money works. He says, whoever loves money never has enough. 
You know, that's called greed, right? Greed, get, you never, you've never got enough. He says, whoever loves money never has enough. The love of money is called greed. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. Like you, just, you just can't, you, like you're never getting enough. You're, someone's always holding you down, holding you back. You're, you're never in the right job. You're just, whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. And then he has this common phrase which exists throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. This too is meaningless. Meaning, I've tried it. I've been there. I try to find satisfaction in money. Try to find uh, happiness in gaining wealth. Try to find happiness in getting more possessions. And, and it didn't lead to anything. And that comes from one of the fifth richest men who had ever lived. And Solomon's advice is, look, I... Money's not going to get you happiness. And I know in, in this room, we know that in our hearts of heart. But, but our impulse mind doesn't know that. Our spending habits sometimes don't know that just yet. And I talked about being possessed by our possess, possessions. You ever been there? Like, I feel that way about my house sometimes. You remember the advice that my aunt had given to me? My aunt gave me this advice the day we signed a mortgage for our first home. Uh, she had said, you'll never have money again. Thank you, Jeannie. I appreciate that. What, what great optimism. But you know what? She was some, a little bit right. I think of all the things that we have to do to our home, the things that we have to upkeep, and we're always holding money back, the things we want to remodel, the things we want to update, the things that need to be fixed, and, and we just are always spending money on that, on that house. And sometimes I wonder who owns who. You're possessed by your possessions. It's, it's like that boat that you have in your garage that maybe you overly invest in, you pay too much money for it, you got it on payments now, and so you're constantly polishing, constantly waxing, taking care of it. It, it has the prime spot in the garage. Maybe it's like that, that couch that you've always wanted, and, and, and you didn't have a lot of money, but you had some money, and so you, the tax money came, and so you, you needed a whole new furniture set, and you got, finally got the one that you wanted, and, and now, now it's covered in plastic. Remember the old days when your grandma had the couches covered in plastic? <laughs> and you just, you just possessed by your possessions. Like, like we know the large TV's not going to get us happiness, but that doesn't stop us from, from buying it, even though we don't need it. Like 4K. What, my life's been in 1080 for too long. I need 4K. I know it's not going to make me happy, but that doesn't stop me from buying it, right? The, the, the Christmas bonus, I got to have that. I know it's not going to make me happy, but it's nice if it comes, right? It will make me happier. The new car, I mean, onward down the list, we know this in our heart of hearts, but it doesn't stop us from this typical attitude of money will make me happy. Here's the second attitude that's typical, and that is all the church is interested in is my money. Guys, that couldn't be further from the truth. I mean, whether it's some bad apples, that doesn't categorize the whole barrel. And I understand why this attitude exists because there are preachers that live in a, 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 like a luxurious lifestyle. There's churches that you've been a part of probably missed money. There's a, a, an Instagram account that I love to go to. All my ministry friends love to go to. It's called Preachers in Sneakers. And it just points out the, the expensive sneakers that some of the prominent preachers in the United States are wearing, like $5,611 pair of shoes, right? Some of you are like, whoa, 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 that's, that's, way up. that's more than my car is, right? The guy's wearing them on his feet. How about this? I love Stephen Furtick, but man, his hat, almost 400 bucks. Come on, man. Right? I, w- I wouldn't even spend 40 bucks on a hat. Now listen, I'm not sitting here saying that ministers should live in poverty. That's not my personal, my personal thought. I don't think ministers should ever live in poverty. They haven't been called to a life of poverty. They've been called to a life of preaching or ministering and teaching. But, but you always need to be aware of the, 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 the lifestyle that you're living. It doesn't matter if you're a preacher or you're a pew sitter. It doesn't matter, right? You've you got to be conscious of the, the, the luxurious lifestyle that you're demonstrating and putting out there because it could lead people to envy and greed in other things. I know that's a kind of a heightened way of looking at money, kind of a more mature way, but I can see why people would say, all the preacher wants is my money, all the church wants is my money, so they could live their luxurious lifestyle. Maybe you've been a part of a place where the church has misspent, maybe you've been a part of a church where someone has skimmed off the top. I get it. I get it. 
Maybe you've been to a church where, where a preacher mishandled the conversation of money. He didn't preach it as a biblical principle, preached it as, as his own principles. I, I get it. But I'm telling you, man, don't let one bad apple ruin the whole barrel because for every one church that's doing it wrong, there's 10,000 churches that are doing it right. There's 10,000 doing it right. And so whatever you've you walked into with whatever kind of attitude you have towards the church and money, I'm telling you, let it escape. Let it, let it breeze away. And I pray the Holy Spirit comes and fills in the gaps and starts to heal your heart about the way you perceive money. Because the church is not only interested. If we were only interested in money, we would bill you every month for the services rendered. Like, could you imagine that? Could you imagine this? Like, could you imagine, dear Mr. Merrill, your two uh, children in, in, were, were in children's elementary uh, uh, ministry four times this year. Your, your, your three were in middle school ministry four times this, this month, rather. And then you and your wife were in small group four times this month. And, and you and your wife sat through services four times. That's 520 bucks that you owe the church. Like, and can you imagine, like, if you didn't, if you didn't pay up, there's, like, Evan Nave standing there at your front door with a crowbar, like, what's just going to happen right now? Church is not, church is not, we're not, we, we, there's no, we, we didn't ask you where you, how much money you, we, no one, like, I don't care if you give a dime or no dime, nothing, or a or hundred thousand dimes, you're going to get ministered to. We're, we're, we're throwing the same pearls out to to everyone. It doesn't matter if you give or haven't given. If, if, you, if you just say, I'm, I'm just here to, to consume rather than contribute, we, no one cares. Like, no one's knocked on your door and say, this is not enough. You're not giving anything. That, that's never happened. Businesses do that. If you, if you think, when's the, go, to me, go to me Pueblo today. Because I've never heard anybody say, uh, all this restaurant is is interested in my money. You better believe they are. You go there sometime, and, and you, you try to prove that they're not. They're not. Now you just eat your meal and leave the bill there and just walk away. Don't just see Jerry and his buddies just run after you and tackle you. The <laughs> they're interested in your money, but the church isn't. The church is interested in ministry. Businesses want to make a buck. Churches want to do ministry. They want to give to you. They want something for you. That's not a business. Businesses don't want that, but churches want that for you. Guys, I'm just, I'm just glad to say that this church has been a giving church. It's been a giving church for a number of decades. It's going to have been a giving church ever since I, I was preaching here. And it's just been continuing on to be a giving church. So the numbers might look bigger, but the percentages have always been the same. You know, the last five years, we've almost given a million dollars away for this. Oh, the last five years, almost a million dollars have gone out of this building and said, it's not about us, it's about God. It's about generosity. It's about showing that our God is generous. Just to expand the influence of God. And I'm just here to tell you, God's never pulled any punches when it came to our finances. He's never pulled punches about his money in your pocket. As a matter of fact, he tells guys like me to preach it like this, to teach those who are rich in this world, and that's all of you, by the way, you're in the United States, you're, you're the one percentile of the United States, if you're living in the United States, you're the one percentile of wealth. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. There's where the happiness comes from, from God. He's given to us. Tell them to use their money to do good. Hey guys, uh, I'm going to be a good steward, or going to be a good preacher. Use your money to do good. And then he goes on to say here, they should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be uh, storing up their treasures as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. Jesus talked about it like this. Put your treasures in heaven. And maybe you've never heard this before. Maybe you've never heard a church talk like this before. Maybe you've never heard a pastor preach like this before about money and being so to the point about it. But Jesus has never pulled punches. God never pulled punches when it came to his money in our pockets. And I just want you to ask this question as we walk through this series together. And I hope you come back. 
The question is this, will my life be better or worse if I follow God's financial principles in my life? Will my financial life be better or worse if I follow his financial principles in my life? That's the question you need to ask over the course of the next four weeks. Here's another typical attitude about money, and it is, it's my money, and I can do whatever I want with it. That might be your attitude. Jesus taught it like this. I want you to get in Matthew 25, because Jesus tells us this story. It's page 806 in the Bible in the chair rack in front of you. Pull it out. Let's look at it together. Jesus teaches this story that tells us exactly the heart of this message. Matthew 25, let's look at verse 14 together. In my Bible, it is titled, The Parable of the Bags of Gold. Matthew 25, page 806, verse 14. I'm going to begin to read. Jesus tells the story again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. That's a key word in this scripture, entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, to another one bag, each according to his ability. A brilliant, brilliant statement right there, each to his ability. I think it's, I think it's another sermon. It's one I've preached before. It needs to be preached again, but that we're given things by our ability, that God actually looks about what we can do with it. And then he went on his journey. So you get the idea here. So the, the master entrusts money to his servants. And just so you know, it's a large amount of money. Five bags is about 150 k Two bags is about 60000 and one bag is 30000 No one can really squabble at that, even if you got the guy with one bag. How do you squabble over $30,000 has been entrusted to your care? You can't. So no one's squabbling about it. No one's really sitting there saying, well, I wanted more. Now, my big question for you, though, in knowing the, the numbers and knowing the bags and knowing what was done, here's, here's my only question for you guys. Whose gold is it? Whose gold is it? Go ahead and answer that. Whose gold is it? God's, the master's, right? It's the master's gold. It doesn't matter whose hand it is in, right? It doesn't matter whose pocket it's in at the moment. Who, whose gold is it? It's, it's God's. All those bags of gold are the master's money. And he just said, I've entrusted it to your care. And there's a basic biblical principle that comes out of that. It's called stewardship. And you're probably aware of what stewardship is. It just means, real simple, he's the owner and I'm the manager. He's the owner, I'm the manager, Right? The master is the owner. I'm the manager. It's been entrusted to my care. And this starts to change our thinking now from a typical way of thinking. Jesus says, here's the thinking you should have. Here's the attitude that you should begin to develop. This atypical attitude, this atypical thinking, and that is, I am not the owner, but I'm a manager of God's money. I am not the owner, but the manager of God's money. And I know some of us in this room are like, that, that nearly gives you a heart attack. Because you put in long hours, you've had a big education, you've got a lot of, a, a lot of things behind, behind your name that show off your degree and the level of smarts that you've got, and you've earned every penny that you've made, and God says, I, 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 I. you did not. And that flies in our face, because here's what God says. He says that silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord. God's like, God, it almost sounds like God's the bully on the block and says, I'm taking my ball and I'm going home right now. It's all mine. It, everything on the table is mine. And you might be wondering how God can lay claim to something like that. Like, it's my gold, it's my money, it's because you've worked hard for it, you put in the sweat by your brow. Well, the Apostle Paul is almost has like argument style, where he says, you're like the one testifying in the box, and he's the, the lawyer that's grilling you, and you're sitting here saying, no, no, it's my money, and Paul says this, he says, what do you have that God hasn't given you? May I just remind you, it's like Paul saying, may I just remind you, you're breathing in borrowed air on borrowed lungs. You got me there, Paul. 
Then, then you get Deuteronomy into place, and God just kind of points out, the Lord owns the world. That's mine. Everything in it, mine. The heavens, mine. Even the highest heavens are his. And like, he just kind of levels it down. So what, what is it that you're bringing to the table, my friend? I've entrusted this to your care to manage it. What, how have you been doing with it? And so the next time you start drawing coal out of the ground and it starts getting you a paycheck, God just wants to remind you, did you make that coal? Did you press it into its form and give it its shape over time? No, God did that. Next time you start getting some gold in your pocket, God says, did, did you speak that gold into existence on creation day? No, I did. And then you pulled it out of the mountain. The next time you plant a seed in the ground, you have a high yield or low yield, you get some money back from that seed that has germinated and grown, you're just going to hear God say, did you make that seed germinate, die off, and create a little miracle in the ground? You didn't do that. I did that. You see, when you have this attitude, this atypical attitude, I'm not the owner, but I'm the manager of the money. I, this, is, this is not mine. The other church had this attitude. Somehow it's kind of crept out of the church, but the early church had this attitude. Look at Acts 4 on the screen with me. All the believers, it said, were united in heart and mind. They had the same passion and the same mentality. Isn't that great? Same passion and mentality. And notice this next line. It's underlined on the screens. And they felt that what they owned was not their own. Isn't that great? They just felt. Like the spirit came over them. They just felt, this is not mine. This five bags of gold, two bags of gold, one bag. This is not mine. This has got to be God's. So what did they do? Knowing it wasn't there, they shared everything they had. And the apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's great blessing was upon them all. Isn't that great? God's great blessing was on them. Why? Because they, they recognized that they were stewards of God's money. There were no needy people among them. Look at all the needs were taken care of in the community because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles and give to those in need. And even the early church decided, this is not for us to distribute. This is for the leaders of the church to distribute. And we're going to allow the leaders... To have some discernment and some wisdom spiritually to, to divide this out. And they were bringing their gifts to a church, and the church leaders were then handing it out. And their theory was, we're not the owners, we're just the managers. Think how, think how the community, think how this congregation, think how, think how the world would just benefit. We all live this atypical way. that We're not owners, but we're managers of it. Let's get back to Matthew 25. Let's, let's get back to what Jesus' story is. Because there's some men there. They have the bags in hand. And verse 16 says, The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So he went to the bank, put it on deposit. He did, made some kind of investment in some way. Verse 17, So also the one with the two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. So the first two recognized right away, I've been given something good, and I want to do something good with it. Does that make sense? I've been given something good. It's been entrusted to my care. I want to do something good with it. I want to give it back as good or better than I received it. As good or better than I received it. And so they put it in investment. Maybe they go to Edward Jones. Maybe they go to the Solomon Foundation. Maybe they just went to their local bank. I don't know where they went, but they made some money off of it. But there's that one guy, he doesn't have that attitude, does he? And one guy says, I don't know what to do with it. I'm just going to hold on to it. I don't, I don't know what to do. I'm just going to kind of, what, what he really does is he forgets about it. That's what Jesus is saying. He just digs a hole, buries in the ground, forgets about it. Forgets that it, he is the manager of the money. He forgets that it's been entrusted to his care. It doesn't mean anything to him. And there's no tension in his life about it. He's not looking on how to reward the one that had given him that or honor him with it. The atypical mentality is, I'm not the owner, but I'm, 
the manager of God's money. And the second atypical attitude I think Jesus is teaching is this. I'm responsible to advance the owner's goals before my own. Did you catch that? Like, I'm to push God's agenda ahead before I position my own agenda ahead first. And so, how have you been entrusting God's money so that his agenda, his goals come first? I'll just give you a real quick biblical illustration on how to do this, because when you start to add all the scriptures of the Bible together about giving and principles, it really comes down to a simple principle that we know about how we should use our money. It's called the 10 10 80 principle. Some of you are using this already in your life. Some of you have no clue what I'm talking about. This year in our 2020 budget at a church, we're using the 10 10 80 principle. And here's what it means. My wife and I do this. We've been doing this since the day that we were married. It means that anytime we get 10 of these, 10 of these, whatever form, anytime we get 10 of these, the very first of the 10 goes immediately to God because we want to honor God with our first fruits like the scriptures tell us. And then the second, we want to be able to put into savings because that often gets neglected in most people's lives. A typical family doesn't do that. They don't. And so we, we want to have some kind of financial future and have some kind of emergency fund. And so we put the second 10% away. And then this 80, we can blow. Man, if we want to go to Shoals on a weekend activity, baby, we will go to Shoals and rent some canoes and go over the falls, right? If I want to go to Alney and get myself a motel, me and my baby, we'll go to Alney and get myself a motel. Just whatever 80% you want to live off of is all yours. God says, that's yours, that's yours. Just honor me with the first. And I know some of you didn't catch that, so let me just do it again. Anytime you get 10 of these, 10 of these, the first one goes to God like he tells us in the scripture, you honor him, he'll honor you. The second goes to our savings. And then, then the last day we can live like wild hogs, however we want to live, right? And the morality of Jesus, we'll live it. Friends, you know that's done for us? Two things. Two things it's done for us. It's created great benefit in our life, great benefit and great blessing. Let me say that again. It's created great benefit and it's created great blessing. You know what the benefit is? I've never had to never had a, have a credit card in my life. My wife's never had a credit card. Not since we've been married. Never had to pay payments. Unless we were paying payments on something that was some advantage where we could immediately get that car and then a month later pay it off and we got a better deal. Stick it to the deal. <laughs> Helped us keep a, a manageable mortgage, be able to pay it off. You know what the blessings have been? I haven't had to go to my family once or my friends ever and say, can I borrow some money? It's tight right now. You know what the blessings have been? I've never had to go to my elders in 20 years and say, you guys don't pay me enough. I've, I've overspent and I need a raise. You know how quickly, right, money creates disharmony in a relationship. And it has been a blessing, the 10-10-80 plan that God has established in my life through his principles found in his word. And also been a benefit to my life. You see, Jesus talks about it like this in Matthew 25, verse 19. Here's what he says in the continuation of this story, this parable. He says, after a long time, the master of the servants returned. Uh-oh. Uh-oh, you know there are days coming where we're going to have to give an account for all that God's put into our charge. That scares me, because in, in the book of James, a guy like me, in the book of James, a guy who's a Bible teacher has a higher level of account because he's put you in my care. He's put you in my care as a pastor. And every time this congregation grows, I think, well, they're, they're, I'm just held accountable to, to more. You're held accountable to your family, to how you love your spouse, to your job, how hard you work. The time that you put in, and of course, the money that God's entrusted into your pocket. And so, after a long time, the master returns and settles accounts with them, holds them accountable. Verse 20, the man who had received five bags of gold brought back another five. That's a pretty good investment. The guy needs to show me who his money manager is. 
And he said to that guy, Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. And, and we love this line, verse 21. The master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. A great reference of God himself that says money's not the important thing here. That's the few things. There's bigger things out there that, that probably don't have anything to do with money. But money has been the test about how well you'll steward these things. And so that, that atypical thinking is... I'm responsible to advance the owner's goals before my own. But here's the third one that comes out of what we just read. I demonstrate who the owner is by honoring the owner first. Did you catch that? I demonstrate who the owner is by honoring him first. That 10 is first going to go to him. There's five things you can do with money. We've had this teaching before. We just taught about it last year. I can spend it, pay debt, pay taxes, save it, or give it. There's five things I can do with my money. There's five things you can do with it. And that's typically the way we do it. That's the way we, we just go hog wild first, and then we pay our debts if there's some money left over, pay our taxes because we know that has to be paid, and then we save it if there's some left over. And if there's anything really that are some kind of drippings left over, we, we will give it. And it's crazy because atypically God says you should flip that over. You should go five, four, three, two, one. And if you were to put you know, pronouns on this stuff, it would look like this. We would start with me, me, then we'd go to we, the taxes side, that's all of us, save it, me, and then the bottom is he. And God says, no, it really should be he, me, we, me, me. That's the atypical way of thinking. God says, you put me first and then save a little back for yourself. And then you got to pay this tax thing. you got to do the honorable thing, Romans 13, honor the government that you're under, and then pay some debts, and then you can spend it, whatever else is left there to spend it on. I mean, like, go to, go to the Gostoff and have yourself a wild meal or something. You know, just live it up big time. And there's kind of this ouch moment for us here, I think, because when we do one, two, three, four, five, and we live typically... We say, God, I want to honor you, and then when the money doesn't come, we pray to God, and we said, God, would you, would, you, would you somehow give me some kind of supernatural financial gift? Would you give me a better job? And God says, have you been honoring me? Well, I've been spending, paying debt, taxes, saving it, and then, then, I, then what I got, I'll give it. God says, no, no, no. You know, like, how about, God says, would you, just, would you honor me? And then get this in order, and then I'll honor you. And then I'll honor you with it. Let me tell you how this looks. Let me tell you how this looks for some of you who's like on the fence about this. This summer, you know, we did Serve, Give, Go, an awesome summer. Awesome, awesome summer, one I'll never forget. And we just had this moment this Sunday morning, remember, where we just said we want to build three churches in the nation of India for our, our, past, for our pastors there. And it's going to cost about $30,000, and I know you didn't come to give money today, but whatever you got in your pocket, let's just, let's just scrounge it together and see what we can do. On the moment, give. And you guys, man, the generosity of this place, just, it was more than 30, it was, it was doubled. There's $60,000 that this congregation came up, and it's just one of these, like, awe-inspiring moments. And we got to tell T.B. Paul, who's our missionary over there, hey, don't get three, get six churches, make six churches. And, and some of you told me stories of sacrifice on that. Like, some of you were like, I, I wasn't going to eat lunch for a month. Because my lunch money was given over to increase the ministry in India. I got an awesome message uh, a little while ago from just what came out of that uh, from Cade Cornelius. And I, I just want to read it to you. It's, it's a real awesome story about how he demonstrated who the owner was by honoring the, the owner first. Here's what he wrote to me. He said, I, I don't know how to get this across to all of you, Bethany Christian Church, but I want to give thanks to the Almighty. He says, our watermelon season, our watermelon season he's a watermelon farmer, season was, was all uphill from planting to harvest, and, and one of the most challenging years that I can recall, but something changed this year. Quote, I became more faithful. That's a, that, 
Don't let that escape your, your ears. This, 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 this idea of God entrusting to me and giving back to him is about faith. I've always been on the border, he says, when it comes to my faith, but the church and the leadership has brought me to the next level. I started giving my first profit to the Lord this year. In return from our worst yield in watermelon production, in years, we also had one of the greatest prices that took care of the poor yield. That's a God thing, isn't it? And he announces it, I owe that to the Lord Almighty. I love this. I, I used to call it luck each year that we had a good harvest. Now I call it blessed. Because without God, we wouldn't have anything. The turning point was when we were asked to spare money to help build churches elsewhere. I saved all the watermelon sales to give to that effort as we raised 60 some thousand dollars to bring others to the Lord. Again, thank you for bringing me to the Lord. It's been the best thing I've ever done in my entire life. I want that for you. I want that for you. More importantly, God wants that for you. To recognize that what you have is really his. Those envelopes, I hope you've been caring for them well. That's my money in there. <laughs> Go ahead and open up. There's a dollar bill in there. And uh, this week, I asked my, last week rather, I asked my wife, I said, honey, I've got this idea for an illustration. It's going to cost us. It might be the most expensive illustration we ever have. But I want to take $1,500 out of the bank. And I just want to spread it to everybody in the congregation, just a dollar a piece and (laughs) dollar a piece. Yeah, that's my my first sneak preachers and sneakers uh, Instagram post right there, my $35 lugs. Listen, I'm telling you, $1,500 is a lot of cash to me. I mean, I'm buying $35 shoes. And I'm honest here, this isn't the church's money that you have in your hand right now. I haven't asked the church to reimburse me if it doesn't go well, which, which I'm thinking right now is a pretty stupid idea of what I'm about to do. <laughs> My wife was real quick. I thought, I thought I'd have to convince her on the phone, like, honey, um, you know, here's what I want to do. I want to take $1,500 out and just spread a dollar a piece to everybody in the congregation. I thought I was like, going to have to like, really sell that. She goes, oh, that's great. And then she learned yesterday, but I want them to hold on to it for a week. She said, what did you do? What did you do? I want you to hold on to this dollar for one week. One week. I want you to feel the tension of what it's like to hold someone else's money in your hand. I want you to feel the tension of what it's like to hold someone's utility bill in their hand. Someone's diapers and wipes in their hand. Netflix subscription is in your hands, people. (laughs) Gas money. Insurance money. I want you to feel the tension of what it's like to hold someone else's money. I know what you're going to do because some people tried it in first service. I don't want to hold your money. Hold it. And you bring it back next week. Do not throw it in the offering. It's not the church's money. (laughs) There'll be some buckets. We'll distinguish it. We'll make it real clear where Matt's money goes. (laughs) And don't be like it's given back too. Like, well, I just thought I'd give it 10% back. Here's a dime. None of that crap. We're not doing that. Uh-uh. I know what some of you do too. You'll put this in the, the pocket of the chair. Don't put it in the pocket of the chair because that's going to go to the landfill. You're going to be just like the servant that dug a hole, forgot about it, mismanaged it. No, I'm asking you to come back. I'm asking you to come back next Sunday and just, just drop the same dollar right in the pot. And we'll have a great teaching about what just took place over the course of seven days in our life of that tension that we hold when that's not our money in our hands and there's a preacher that's dependent on you to bring it back. 
I don't want it back. Not today. I want it back on Sunday. I want you to feel that tension because that's exactly the tension that those who heard this story for the first time were experiencing. As Jesus said, that money that's in your hand has been entrusted to your care. Would you be a good steward of it? And for the first time they heard, it's not mine. And God said, it's not. It's really mine. But I trust you with it. And he trusts you with it. And he wants, wants for you just to first honor him with it. And the rest, the 90%, do, do what you have concern to do with it. And I know some of you in this room, it's like no-brainer for you. You're like, I've already surrendered this area of my life. Not a problem. Not a problem. Good. Good. Not everybody in this room is that way. For some of us, this is a major problem. We haven't surrendered this area of our life. We've surrendered other areas of our faith over to God, but not this. And if this is maybe not a problem for you, you know, I'd bet to say that there's, there's at least somewhere in your life that you haven't surrendered over to him. Maybe it's a hard-heartedness of forgiveness. Maybe it's a, a sin that you've kept secretly that you still are shackled to. You haven't found salvation and you haven't broken free from it. Friends, there's always something that we can take a step of faith in today to surrender, to break free from and say, God, you have it and it's really yours and it's not my own. This whole life, everything I am, I've committed to you. It's not my own. I surrender now today, all of it to you. I surrender everything to you.